You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello again, everybody. My name is Steve Eden. I want to welcome you to the True University podcast, where the truest thing about you is what God says about you. Super excited today about a great question I was asked uh, earlier this week. What is the difference between Jesus making disciples and the modern day church making disciples today? And let me just throw this out here. This is such a relevant topic because everybody is talking about discipleship and making disciples. It's kind of a buzzword, certainly, that I'm hearing in all kinds of different circles, all the way from uh, friends I have in the UK to Durant, Oklahoma, and of course, uh, right here in central Oklahoma, Choctaw, Hera, places like that. Everybody's talking about discipleship. If you Google the word discipleship, you're going to get about 8 uh, million tabs, and I'm being serious. You're going to get about 8 million uh, articles and things you can look at, videos you can watch. You, if you, if you Google disciple making, you'll get about half that, about four million. But uh, there's lots, you know, lots of opinions out there on what is discipleship, what's the difference between uh, discipleship, being a disciple, or even making disciples. I hear my good friends Dwayne Sheriff and. Jacob Sheriff at Victory Life, I hear them talking about it. Lee Armstrong, I hear them talking about it. This is definitely something that's near and dear to the Lord's heart in this season. And maybe with COVID shutting things down, I think the church kind of had to assess, hey, if Sunday morning goes away, have we done a good job at equipping the saints to live out you know, the work of uh, Christ and his mission and ministry on a regular basis? Uh, the answer to that, most people I've talked to, has been no. So I think a lot of people assessed it and realized Sunday morning is not going to carry the goods uh, an hour or two on a Sunday communing with God and trying to equip the saints uh, is is really, what's the word? It's uh, incomplete. It's not bad. It's just not enough. That's what I'm looking for. And so you've got all these opinions. Where do you start? Well, I think you got to start with Jesus, right? I mean, you got to start with him. And that uh, that's what this individual was kind of asking. Jesus did make disciples. That is very true. And he utilized them to take uh, his kingdom, you know, which is life in and through his indwelling spirit. That's how he rules is by the spirit. That's how he's Lord uh, is by the spirit. And he used those disciples slash apostles to advance his kingdom uh, throughout the earth. But I think it is interesting, and our our worship pastor there at Grace Church brought this up the other day when he and I were talking uh, uh, kind of along these circles and said he noticed that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus spends 40 days with the disciples and uh, had already told them, hey, and he tells them again, he told them first in Luke 24, 49, but then again in Acts chapter 1, he said, don't do anything, uh, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes and uh, alights upon you and, of course, indwells you. So we have to look at the advantage that we have in the modern day in the way of discipleship, making disciples, We have the advantage of the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't the three years that did it, is my point. It's not just three years of hanging out with Jesus. He said, hey, don't do anything until 
my spirit is indwelling you and enduing you with power. And so we actually have this advantage that the disciples didn't have for those initial three years they walked with him. But we share in that advantage because once the Holy Spirit came in the disciples and upon uh, the disciples, uh, Scripture says they began to turn the world upside down. And we see that, you know, 3,000 people added to their number. Then 5,000 people added to their number and uh, they begin to work the works of God. So anyway, I think that's just a, I think it's a powerful truth that Gavin, our worship pastor, was seeing in regard to, hey, you better not make disciples without the Holy Spirit. You better not make disciples without the presence and power of Jesus in your life. And let's face it, guys, if you're a church historian, and I would even say a modern church historian, uh, there's been some abuses for sure in the way of people trying to make disciples. Uh, then you got the David Koresh's, and that's far outlandish. That's even further than what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about simple abuses in church of, hey, you need to do what I say. You need to listen to me. I'm kind of, you know, your Lord Master right now. Man, you got to flee that stuff. And what you're looking for is somebody that wants to walk with you and invest in you, uh, you know, hear from you as well glean, have some mutual submission about it. But yeah, I'm cool with leadership. I think there is leadership in the body of Christ. Um, but at the same time, you, you need to be learning from Jesus to be like Jesus. And uh, so, you know, you know how it is with man, ego gets in the way and then uh, we see problems. But the beautiful part in this question is how, how did Jesus do it? So Jesus comes to make disciples. This, this is part of his mission. He came for a lot of reasons. One of them is to make disciples, which I believe are fully devoted and developed students of his. I'm going to say that again. I'm a student of Jesus. Now, I have pastors. I have influencers. I have leaders around me that pour into me, you know, wisdom and a multitude of counsel. But as far as being a student, a follower, a learner, fully devoted and submitted to, that's Jesus Christ. And so his, he came on mission for, I'm going to say it again, he came for a lot of reasons, reintroducing the kingdom, destroy the works of the devil. You can find those, seek and save the lost. There's a lot of reasons that he came, bear witness to the truth. But he did come to make disciples fully devoted and develop students of him who abide in him. They live connected lives to him by the spirit. Then they start becoming more and more like him. And then they actually work the works of God in partnership with him. So let me give you some scripture here. I think there's a great progression that we see. First Corinthians chapter, let me make sure I got the right one. First Corinthians chapter one and verse nine is the first one. Listen to this. This is great stuff. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son so you've got this end, this fellowship term is an intimate term. You're called to relationship and fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's the first thing I think that we see. Jesus says, hey, come to me. Come walk with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Come and follow, follow me. And then he says what? And I will make you. So he wants to invite us to himself. Come alongside of me. Come into fellowship, relationship, and intimacy with me. Let me give you a new covenant lens. I'm not going to reject you. We're going to do this together. 
I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always, even till the end of the age. But not only Matthew 4, 18 and 19, he says, uh, follow me. But then he says, I'm going to make you. So his desire in us walking with him is he wants to make us into what he wants us to be. I would even say what he's created us as human beings to be. First Peter chapter one, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do for it's written, be holy because I am holy. So he wants us to now begin to walk in his ways. And what I mean by that is his character, his nature is seen in our lives. You know, if your spouse goes off on you, on a cussing tangent that you're able to respond peaceably, lovingly, with perhaps compassion, like, are you okay? (laughs) I remember my son uh, saying that to me one day after church. Oh, my goodness, I'm telling on myself here. But he he needed to add water to his car in the church parking lot because it was running a little hot, and he realized his water was low in the radiator. And I don't know what happened. I went out there to meet him at the car, and somehow he got lost looking for the kitchen or a bucket to put the water in. I don't know what happened, but it's like five minutes later. I'm just standing there at the car. He finally comes out and uh, I'm like, where have you been? You know, I'm, I'm a little bit hot under the collar and he says, dad, are you okay? <laughs> so totally disarmed me, man. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just acting like a fool. So he did a good job there. See, the, 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 life of Jesus was manifesting. He was calm. He was peaceful. He wasn't moved by things outside of him. So we're going to live connected to him. He calls us alongside of him. Then he wants to make us look like him, be conformed to his image. That is God's will for every human being on this planet. Romans 8, 29 says every one of us, every human, not just quote Christian, all humans are predestined, designed, called to uh, be made in the image of God's son. So that's walking in his ways. We begin to obey what he asks us to do. You know, man, I could go on a, such a tangent there. Let me, I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll come back to that <laughs> on obeying him and doing what he says. Uh, but then the third one is that we work his work. So let me take you to John 15. John 15, verse 15 and 16. Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. Servant doesn't know what his master's doing. He doesn't understand the father's business. Instead, I've called you friends, covenant brothers. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. I'm I'm giving you the secrets of God. I'm giving you the secrets of our father's plan. You did not choose, excuse me, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask, in my name, the Father will give you. How about that? You're called alongside of him, 1 Corinthians 1.9. You're called to be like him, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. And then you're called to partner with him in the works of a father's, of his Father's kingdom, John 15, 15 and 16. So you're very significant. Let me go on a true you tangent here. I want to say again, you are called. You are chosen. And I know if you're like me, you're thinking, Lord, I don't know why on earth you would choose me. That's why he'd choose you. He told me one time, Steve, I chose you to preach my gospel, to demonstrate intimacy with me and share that with others because you wouldn't choose yourself. You're very aware of your own inadequacy apart from me. But in your weakness and the acknowledgement of it, I am made strong. So I want to do strong and powerful things through your humility, through your yieldedness. And so you need to agree with God. 
The most humble thing you can do is agree with who God says you are. And it says right here in these scriptures, you are called and you are chosen and you are a friend of Jesus Christ. You are a covenant brother with Jesus Christ. Now, funny story here. I was thinking about this uh, this week in regard to doing what the Lord says. Because we really do struggle in the West, uh, here in America, as far as how we do church and what we've made Christianity out to be. There's a reason that the country looks the way it looks, and everybody wants to blame politicians, and I, I do a lot of that, and I blame the media too, or the spirits behind it, you know, the political spirits, the monetary spirits that drive everything. We don't get news anymore. We get propaganda on whoever owns the news station. You know, that's how you wonder why there's such, uh, what's the word, uh, distinction between, uh, seems like there's left wing news, right wing news. It's just whoever's paying the bills, man. So you're not getting real news, you're just getting propaganda. But the truth is, my point is, I think the church shares some blame here in why America looks the way it does, um, in the sense that I think we did lose. The centrality of Jesus, the simplicity of pure devotion to Christ and simply doing what he asks us to do and carrying out his mission of making disciples and advancing his kingdom. So in the West, we're stuck. We're stuck in our own resources. Man, that's a major issue. We try to do everything on our own. Listen, Christianity is not the imitation of Jesus. You can't be like Jesus without Jesus' spirit. You say, oh, okay, well, I'm born again. I got Jesus' spirit. Good. Then why aren't you yielding to him? Why don't you let that spirit out? Why don't you abdicate lordship and rulership to his internal spirit rather than just trying to be like him? That's a hard taskmaster. Jesus is a way better Christian than you and I are. So he comes inside to express his life, express his love, express his lordship and his submission to the Father's will. He wants to express all that in and through you. So it's not about trying, it's about trusting. It's about yielding to him and living a fully surrendered life. Okay, soapbox right there. We're stuck in our own resources, and listen to this. We're stuck in wrong perspectives. If you're taking notes, write that down. In the West, we struggle with wrong perspectives. For example, you guys know the name, the game Simon Says. So this is how it works, you know. Uh, I tell my son Joshua, Simon Says touch your toes. So what does he do? He touches his toes. That's how the game works. Now, of course, if you don't say Simon says, then, and you do it, then you're in big trouble. But we don't do Simon says very well with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, he tells us to do something, and we think he means, oh, memorize the things that you told us to do. Or how about this? Let's get a small group together and study what he told us to do. So Jesus says, go and make disciples. And uh, our response is, we're going to memorize the scripture, Matthew 28, where he said we should go 18 through 20. Let's memorize it where he said we should go and make disciples. Then let's study what all the words mean where he said we should go make disciples. And then, <laughs> and then what's missing? We never do it. If I told Joshua, my son, go clean your room, please. And he comes back and says, dad, I memorized what you said. <laughs> what's missing he never cleaned his room but he studied it he memorized the the instruction uh, how about this one he comes back says dad guess what i can say clean your room in greek i know what all those words mean when you said to clean my room <laughs> 
And then, and then he says, Dad, my friends are coming over and we're going to have a study of what it looks like if one day I were to clean my room. <laughs> this is such a great analogy. What is missing is Joshua is not, never cleaning the room. I'm fine if he wants to research the best way to clean his room or what I meant by cleaning the room, maybe ask for more detail. But listen, we need to do what the Lord asks us to do. But listen to me, the beauty is we get to do it with him. Hear me now, we do it with him. For apart from him, right, we can do nothing, we should do nothing. That's John 15, 4. Apart from him, we can do nothing, and we should do nothing. And this is a major mistake that happens in the West. We hear the voice of the Lord. He's like, hey, I'm placing an emphasis on discipleship because we got to get the saints equipped. We can't have the only ministers on the planet, just people who preach from a, you know, from the Bible every Sunday for an hour because we've seen the results. Sermons are not going to change America. We've had millions of sermons. We still have sermons. At some point, the, the saints have to get a hold of truth, have their own personal w- walk with the Lord, listening to his voice every day, and then what? Conforming to his image and doing what he asks them to do. So please make note of that. In real discipleship, we do it with him. Because apart from, honestly, he's the only one that can make a disciple. Uh, that's the truth. So we're going to do it with him. There's no condemnation in this. I, I think the number one reason we've not made disciples well in America is because, you know, we don't know how. But let me, let me touch on Jesus here, because his mission wasn't, we're going to fill the earth with buildings. His mission wasn't, let's fill the earth with Sunday morning services, you know, and give people a taste of the Lord for an hour or two. And then, you know, they can live however they want. No, <laughs> Jesus' mission was, let's fill humanity, all of humanity, all of humanity with God's spirit. That would give them seven days communion with the one who made them the one who they're actually made for. So you didn't make yourself, so you don't get to say, well, you know, I'm really made for root beer and pizza. Then That's really how I get love, joy, and peace. No, it's not. You're going to get love, joy, and peace from the one who made you. God invented life. You have to go to him to know how to live it. And this is what puzzles me about our country, how secular we've become, because, like, we know way more than God. We have so much information Uh, Yeah, we have a lot of information. Man knows a lot about a lot, except for what? How life is to be lived. You have to go to God to figure out how life is to be lived. If you want your marriage to work, go to the one who invented marriage. If you want to know, like when your Ford automobile, your Ford Mustang is broken down, you don't know how to fix it, who do you go to? Ford, the one who made it. So anyway, just a little nugget of truth there for you on, on our origin and going and being sourced by the one who made us. God's desire has always been to build a people of the Spirit, more so than building institutions. He wants to build a people of the Spirit, where he can dwell in them, with them, and among them, leading them from within, communing with them from within. Another great thought to ponder is when you look at Jesus coming on mission to make disciples, why wouldn't he? He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is why I don't want any disciples of Steve. I want disciples of Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one who came to bring us from spiritual death to make us spiritually alive. 
And then what does he want to do from there? Remember, he come, come, he said, come follow me and I'll make you. I'm going to make you. He said, fishes of men there, Matthew 4, but you can certainly insert all kinds of applicable truth here. I'm going to make you in the end what I desire you to be. So he gets us out of spiritual darkness. He makes us spiritually alive. Then he makes us those who live connected to him. We start abiding. We live connected to him because without him or apart from him, we can do nothing. So we're connected to him all day, every day. And then from there, uh, he makes us into those who get our identity in Christ. Not from what your mother-in-law said, not from your performance yesterday. You realize your performance may not determine what's true about you. Now, there's facts about your performance, but truth is a higher law than fact. Your performance and behavior may just be revealing you've believed a lie about yourself and not revealing anything that's actually true about yourself. And then number four, he's, he's going to make you into someone who puts God on display for others to see. So he roots you and grounds you in himself through this new covenant lens that, hey, uh, your sins are forgiven. This is all in Hebrews 8. I've talked about this on the podcast previously. Uh, all your sins are forgiven. I've come inside. I've written my law in your heart and mind. Man, I'm dwelling in your spirit. So I'm going to give you this new covenant lens that our relationship is not transactional. I love you as much on the day that you do a big piece of stupid as I do on the day you didn't. And we have to get rooted and grounded in that. So that's what he does. He bids us come follow him. He, he, he takes us out of uh, spiritual death into spiritual life. Then he, he makes us into someone who lives connected to him. He makes us into someone who gets our identity from him, not what everybody else says or what the world says is cool. And then he makes us into those who put God on display for, the, for those around us to see. He begins to shift our heart that it's not just about my growth. I actually care, Lord, that when people see me, that they see you. This glorious intimacy and love relationship I have with you, I want them to have. I want my spouse to see you and know you. I want my children to see you for who you really are, not how religion has painted you, but who you really are. And I want to make you known to them. And then my friends, my coworkers, my classmates, whoever it may be, you know, it's, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then out to the rest of the world. So he wants you, he'll make you into someone that puts God on display. And then he'll make you into someone who makes disciples. I really believe that is part of what he's uh, called us and equipped us to do. He came on mission to make fully developed and devoted students uh, of himself. And so I just love the progression there uh, when he says, come follow me and I will make you because he's definitely going to make us into what he wants us to be. It's a model. Jesus model. uh I would say this, I guess he came on mission to give us a model whereby the reality of his internal intimacy, the gospel message of his kingdom, how about the power to live a victorious overcoming life could be reproduced uh, in and through us, where his spirit, like a contagion, could spread through our culture, our families, our marriages, transforming every everyday people into fully devoted and developed followers of him. You know, the problem with David Koresh and all that is, uh, you know, they, they, they use the name of Jesus or whatever, these cults, they'll give you a little bit of a nugget to make you feel safe. But in the end, it's about them. 
And uh, we want to avoid that. We want to be learning from Jesus to be like Jesus with the help of good, godly people uh, who, who are around us, who always point us to him. But I want to say this again, because I think it's a powerful statement. Jesus came to give us a model of disciple making, whereby the reality of intimacy with him, the gospel message of his kingdom, the power to live a victorious overcoming life could be reproduced where his spirit, like a contagion, could spread through our culture and our families and our marriages, transforming everyday people into fully devoted and developed followers of him. Uh, the reality is, guys, that we have to face this. You know, curriculum doesn't make disciples. Programs don't make disciples. Classes don't make disciples. Christ-filled disciples make disciples. Christ-filled disciples make disciples. Jesus is the pattern son. He lived a fully devoted uh, as a son of God, following the instructions of his father. Christ is awesome at making disciples. And that's why we do nothing uh, without him. We want to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, who aids us in partnership in making disciples. Uh, one aspect of Jesus' mission was modeling a relational process. See, discipleship's relational. You can't make a disciple if you don't have a relationship with somebody. And that's I do encourage you, start in your home, start in your Jerusalem, those closest to you. But a relational process of developing fully devoted and developed disciples as he challenges you know, each and every one of us to, to come to him, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And then to... Uh, follow him and then let him make us into what he uh, wants to make us into and then of course lastly equipping us to go and bear fruit I'm reminded of John 15 I mentioned verse 4 and 5 about uh, abiding in him and you'll bear much fruit the command there is abide not go do a bunch of stuff live connected to me and the fruit will come and then verse 8 he says for by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Okay, well, what kind of fruit? Well, how about the fruit of the Spirit? If you let Scripture interpret Scripture, certainly that's included. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Are you making disciples from His Spirit out of your union with Him? Or are you doing it for the accolades of men or because it makes you feel like you actually did something and the flesh loves accolades? But anything we do, I believe that the fruit He's talking about here is anything that comes out of our life union with Him. And so that could be praise and worship. When I worship him, that's good fruit. That is born out of my life union with him, his spirit active in my spirit. When I pray, when I commune with him, when I abide with him, that's all coming out of intimacy and my life union with him. So it is if I witness to someone, if I'm evangelizing, if I'm making disciples and I've got men coming to my house to sit and talk about Jesus where we can grow up in all aspects to look like him, where we can fight for each other's freedom and all the beautiful things that come out of making disciples. If it's coming out of the life union of Jesus, man, that is fruit whereby the Father is glorified. If we're doing it you know, with wrong motives, well, that nullifies it because everything in the new covenant is based on the motive of your heart. That's what he's looking at is your heart's intent. Disciple-making is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus and helping others do the same because we're seeking to become like Jesus through his indwelling life 
and not just uh, conform to a, a set of curriculum or a study guide. It's an ever-deepening process. It'll always be going. It's an ongoing process of abiding in the vine and allowing him to bear fruit through us. You know, we want to bear fruit as the bride of Christ. We want to bear fruit after our husband's kind. You're not going to bear any fruit from your husband if you don't receive from him. A wife can run around the bedroom all night long and say, look, look, honey, I'm making disciples. Look, honey, I'm giving you praise. Look, honey, I love you so much. If she never stops and receives of him, she'll never bear fruit after his own kind. And all that while she can try and prove and demonstrate how much she loves him. But we got to receive from him if we're going to bear his uh, fruit after his kind. So, wow. One of the things personally here, I have just a few minutes uh, that he's asking me to do. You know, when I was 20 years old, I've mentioned I had that encounter with Jesus where he said, Steve, I don't love you because of what you do. I love you because of who I am. So with that, hey, walk with me, live the rest of your life from my love and not for it. Let's do it together. So I followed him when I was 20 and and he's making good on his promise. Matthew 4, 18 and 19 uh, Steve, come and follow me, and I'll make you into what uh, you need to be and what I desire you to be. And, and he's really doing that. He's made me, I said, you know, spiritually alive. He's made me into one who lives connected to him, uh, one who gets my identity uh, from him and not from the world. Uh, he's made me into one who's putting God on display. And I'm not perfect in all these things, of course, but these, this is my heart's intent. And then I want to also be one who's not only a disciple, but who makes disciples, who help others know him, get connected to him, and become like him. You know, abide in him, uh, walk in his ways, and do his works in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It's not enough for me just to know him. As much as I love to just sit and be with him and enjoy the king, There's another aspect, and that's his kingdom. See, if you just take the king and you forget about the kingdom, then, well, you kind of forget about the plight of the rest of the world, and you're missing out on, you know, what he's asking us to do as far as filling the earth with his glory. We don't just exist to know Jesus and know God. We also exist to make him known. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that we know them, yes. But Genesis 1, 28, our origin, our original design and instruction was to fill the earth with uh, the knowledge of God, with his expression and who he is. God never said in the garden, hey, guys, stay here with me all the time. He said, go take dominion. Go reveal who I am. Go fill the earth with uh, my glory and my image and my truth. God wanted to colonize the earth. The whole reason he makes the physical realm is to colonize the earth with his spiritual sons and daughters that are in his likeness that reveal him because he is spirit, he is unseen. So he creates a seen realm whereby he can be seen. So if you just take the king without the kingdom mandate, well, you've got the intimacy, but now you're not uh, loving your neighbor well. You're not putting God on display as he's instructed. But if you just take the kingdom and you don't take the king, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And oh my goodness, this is where... You know, so many people burn out. George Barna had written one time, 83% of the unchurched 
in America were regular attenders at one time. What does that tell you about the church? All these people burning out and dropping out. Why? They never got yoked to Jesus. Jesus said his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and yet people go to church and they get yoked up to rules. They get yoked up to, hey, get out there and produce. Guys, you can't produce anything apart from him. He's your life. He's your strength. He's your power. Like I said earlier, he's way better at being a Christian than we are. So once we let him in and get born again, let's let him out. Let's let him be our life. Let's let him be our expression. I was at a discipleship group the other night, and I mentioned about one of the guys I said uh, that, that had helped me and encouraged me in an area. I'll just say his name is Bill. And I said, uh, I said, it was Jesus is Bill, or I said Jesus as Bill, but they thought I said Jesus is Bill. I said, no, you misheard me. It was Jesus as Bill who encouraged me. In other words, Jesus' very life and spirit and mouth is inside of Bill, and he was able to minister to me because, you know, I was trying to thank Bill, and he's deflecting as we always do. Well, it's the Lord. Okay, well, it is the Lord, but it's it's uh, the Lord as you, meaning in and through you. That's a real reality. And so uh, that is so plagued the church, a modern church, where we've taken the kingdom, we take all the commands, maybe go and make disciple, uh, disciples, but we do it without him. We, we don't balance it with, hey, the most important thing is my intimacy with Jesus. I'm walking with him. I'm connected to him. He's my life, my love, and my Lord. He's the power you see to carry out the instructions. My goodness, guys, that's why he came inside of you is so he could be his, himself and the expression of the Father in and through us because, man, we can't be holy without the Holy One. So anyway, I say all that to say the Lord has also added to my identity Okay, not just as a child of God, but a spirit-born son who, yes, is loved by him forever. I love that, but I'm also a disciple of Jesus masquerading as a pastor of Grace Church. <laughs> I'm a student of Jesus masquerading as a pastor of a church. So what he's saying to me in this is, Steve, yeah, you're my spirit-born son. Yes, we've got intimacy. You're in love with the king, and the king loves you. Awesome. But it's, it's dual identity. You're also my student. You're also my learner, my follower. You're a son of the living God. Let's partner together to fill the earth with his expression. Ah, my goodness. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the knowledge of the truth that sets us free. And I pray for everyone listening, Lord, that uh, these words will not be stolen from their heart. Truth won't be stolen from their heart. But they'll sit with you in it. Lord, you illumine what needs to be illuminated. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.